ora, kia ora koe, Karen. So great for you to be here. And what a hugely significant day today. And it was all those years ago. Yes, 50 years ago. 50 year, years ago, barely remembered. And, um, but it was, um, it was a different world then, Karen. Uh, it was almost um, hostile. Um, but, but can I begin by telling you that when we were young, uh, we were not allowed to speak English in our grandfather's house. In fact, uh, in, in our grandfather and grandmother's house, we were forbidden to speak English. And when we got to school, we were for, for, forbidden to speak Maori, in fact, beaten. But we were also beaten, not heavily, by our grandparents for speaking English. So, it was, um, so when we got out into the big, wide, wide world, we couldn't take Maori at secondary school. We had to learn French. And uh, then when we got to Victoria University, um, Maori language was um, it was didn't have its own department. It had to go under anthropology, unlike German and French and, and English and all of those other departments. We had to go under anthropology. So we were quite schizoid by the time we went through the process. You know what I mean? Absolutely, because anthropology, obviously, being the study of human culture, uh, but no Maori language class in itself. But uh, up until you went to school, you only spoke Maori at home. Correct. Throughout my our whole life, where I come from, I'm from Tiriwera, which is the the, the natural rainforest to in the Bay of Plenty, and the uh, the. Uh, the language of communication in many of our rural... I'm a two-way person, and all of the valleys in throughout Dewey were were uh, Māori language um, first language speakers. And it was not until we got out of the valley that we... Uh, well, actually, we had a flicker of um, radio waves that would come through the, uh, through the mountains. And, um, and so we learned our English with BBC, you know, from, you know, the radio... Yes, gee. And so you'd have the radio on at home? and Or was that under the under the covers? Because our grandparents wouldn't allow us to speak English. So where would you listen to the radio? At our parents' house, you know, late at night. Yes, I can, um, I'm right there with you, probably under the covers. <laughs> yes, like, oh my God! Because at, at boarding school we had one of those ra- uh, crystal radio things. You know, that was all illegal, or not illegal, but forbidden at boarding school to listen to transistor radios and things like that. You know what I mean? Yes, I do. Yeah. So, how how did you become involved in the petition? So, when we got to Victoria University, we didn't have a department of uh, of uh, of a separate. Māori department. Uh, so our wonderful, wonderful uh, lecturer in Māori uh, was a man called Koro de Kapunadiris, and he was the inspiration for setting up Te Reo Māori Society, of which I was the first president. And at, at the um, university, we, would, we were very few Māori students there in Victoria uh, in those days. And then we would come together uh, at the tennis pavilion every Thursday evening, and we would meet there to practice our language and to practice our way of our there, there, and we'd come there. But it became 
um, let's say, quite militant, almost like Al-Qaeda. Uh, and, um, and some of our members were uh, real zealots, and some of us were half-caste um, uh, Nga Tamatoa, which, which was the group um, of political activists here in Auckland. And we were in Wellington, Te Reo Māori Society. I became the first president there. But it was there that we started to um, formulate our strategies to try to put pressure on the government to put the uh, Māori language into curriculum, into curricula of, uh, of, of schools. And that was how the petition grew. And um, in Ngāta Matoa, there was this wonderful woman called Hannah Jackson, Wahana uh, Tehemara, her maiden name was, and she's from Taranaki. And Ngata Matua in, in Auckland, who was hugely political, and uh, most of whom couldn't speak uh, Māori. Uh, and but some of us in Wellington at Te Reo Māori Society, we spoke Māori. And that's how um, the petition um, uh, grew and was developed and taken around. We gave it in the end 30,000 signatures uh, to, uh, uh, to bring pressure on the government to put in Māori language into, into schools to begin with. Uh, how hard... Hey? I was just going to say, how hard was it to collect those signatures? Look, it was extremely difficult. And there was a huge number of pe- uh, people, a huge number of groups and entities and uh, people who were supportive. Of, uh, although it was a hostile time, Karen, um, uh, in that, uh, uh, in that, you know, they uh, were... When we went around with the petition, uh, it wasn't easily accepted. Um, you know, we would go and collect signatures. Um, like I said, we were, it was like a military operation. So, you know, uh, people were selected from Te Reo Māori who would go and collect at Karori. And Karori was quite flashy in those days. Still is. And um, uh, there was some resistance there. Then Cuba Mall and Cuba, uh, Cuba Street and Cuba Mall, not so resistant. Um, they were hard with some pockets of resistance. And, for instance, uh, my friend Lee Smith and I were uh, directed to go and take the petition to the train station, and they were very abusive. Uh, they swore at us. They, they, were, they were actually physical. They punched Lee Smith in the nose and made it bleed, and then turned and punched me in the nose, and so it was extremely difficult. Then I went along with Kathy Dewey, for instance, um, who was our dear friend in the Royal Māori Society, and we, we were allocated Porirua, you know, to go to the suburbs and go to Porirua to collect uh, signatures. And that every house in Porirua at that time uh, was, um, they had dogs, and they weren't Pekingese or Chihuahuas, these no. dogs were the size of horses, and they um, they they just simply wanted to bite. And I think because I had chubby thighs in those days, I think I think they wanted to bite my legs. But but Cassie was fearless; she would just you know um, go through the gate and knock on the doors and ask them. And so it was very very difficult. 
Very um, difficult. It, when you say somebody punched you, what? why did they punch you? What did they say to you they before not, that? They did not agree that Māori should be taught, but they asked what was the point, what was the use of Māori language. Um, they simply did not agree that Māori should be in schools and became quite violent. We weren't the only ones that were abused. Do you, you know what I mean? It was quite, you know, quite a, a prevalent um, experience that we all had. So the, the state of the language back in the 70s, uh, I heard a statistic today that, um, well, in the 1960s actually, that only 25% of Māori could speak Māori. Correct. It might have even been less. But by the 70s, uh, Richard Benton, Dr Richard Benton, conducted a sociolinguistic uh, survey right across the country where he identified who and and where and when the Māori language was spoken was a significant piece of research that identified that actually the Māori language was teetering on the uh, on the brink of extinction, and that uh, you know um, uh, encouraged us even more to do something about it. And so, um, uh, so you know, in 1972. Uh, was the first Māori language, uh, the, the position was presented to the, to the government. And uh, in 1978, we quickly realised, the uh, uh, Te Māori Society realised that actually it was not enough in, in, to get it into schools. We needed to, board, uh, we needed to target broadcasting, radio and television. And it was just our military operations at the time. Again. To get somebody into radio, into into television. My role was to get into television New Zealand. And I was trained as a, in a te, uh, producer director's course. And we set up the first body program in 1980. Um, and of course, you were there around that time as well. Yes, I was. And, and, your, one, and your wonderful, wonderful program, Radio with Pictures. And, uh, and we were struggling with our... Uh, a little uh, program which was la- labelled the Chocolate Bicky program by some of those who resist- resisted the presence of Māori within uh, television. And it was quite significant resistance. Absolutely. Uh, we, we persevered. We, perse- we persevered. Robert, can, can you remember that day when the petition was presented at Parliament, what the day was like and who was there? Yes. Uh, we were led by this wonderful old chief, paramount chief of um, Ngāti Toa. His name was Te Oinuku Rene. He was uh, Ngāti Toa, uh, the people of Porirua and, and also Raukawa of Ōtaki. Yeah, he was the paramount chief and he was sometimes called the king of Devil, Devil Islands because he's, his uh, ancestor, Te Rau Paraha, um, was uh, you know uh, settled at uh, Dervil Island. He was a direct descendant of uh, of Teruparaha, but he came and often tutored us on Thursday evenings at the tennis pavilion. And he would, um, and he came on the day to help lead the petition along with Hannah de Hemara, this wonderful friend of ours, who actually put all the, uh, some petition copies in a, a suitcase and presented on the steps of Parliament. And Teuenukurene pulled out of his out of his uh, overcoat this magnificent piece of whalebone, um, and uh, it was 
and then and the, the petition was presented to uh, members of the Labour Party at the time, and uh, and then later later got into 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 Parliament, into government rather, and um, and then he put this Patsun Prawa back into his pocket at the end of it, and there were many many people uh, who came in support of the presentation of the petition to Parliament. It, it, it was. An incredible day, and in those days, of course, um, television was was uh, recorded on film. If you recall, yes, you, you know, uh, double reverse system, and you know, everything was filmed, and then um, and there was film taken of the uh, case and be presented to Parliament. It's wonderful to see those pictures. Will you be going to the commemoration at Parliament this week? Yes, we we will be. We will be. Um, Jacinda was supposed to be there, but she has to go along with the Governor-General to London on Wednesday. But yes, Te Reo Māori Society and Ngā Tamatoa, um, they all, um, and there's a whole heap of other people, will be there at Parliament on Wednesday morning. They are bringing the petition out of um, the archives, the actual petition that we sent around and um, got people to sign. And there's a, an exhibition of that, and that's we're having a dawn ceremony to bless that at 6 a.m. on Wednesday morning, and then at 11, they will be uh, hoping the weather uh, is fine that they will be at the uh, uh, forecourt of the Parliament steps, and if it's inclement, they will take it into the Grand Hall in Parliament and finish the rituals there. We'll, we'll um, lead the rituals of encounter. Oh, wonderful. And hopefully no one will punch you in the nose this time. Well, hopefully I'll have a hanky by, the sun, by that time because we didn't have, we couldn't afford hankies in those days. <laughs> so we had to wipe our noses on our sleeves. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's <laughs> not the case. I'm young the boss. We didn't have hankies. But guess what? It didn't hurt at all because we were still drunk from the night before. <laughs> We used to have most wonderful parties uh, while we were at university. I'm sure that's how we you know, managed to get through it all, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I do. Oh, well, it's so good to talk to you. Thank you so much for just painting that picture for us, and I hope the week goes very well for you. And kia ora, thank you. It's been wonderful to talk and to you. It's lovely to talk to you, Karen, and you look still marvellous, and you're doing such a great job. We often listen to you. Oh, thanks. That's so nice of you to say so. Thank you. Kia ora. Kia ora.